Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today, I was going to originally call it Real Riches, but I changed it to A Tight Squeeze. A Tight Squeeze, which you'll see why in a little bit. Mark 10, 23 to 27. And it's appropriate that we landed on this passage today. It's really perfect timing because, as you saw, we just recognized our graduates, high school and college graduates. And the real focus of this passage is to make your life count. Make your life count. Something to live for. And it's also Father's Day, which is another perfect landing because we're going to be talking about not only making our life count, but also true riches. And it's not what the world tells us true riches are. We might need to, as, as men, we might need to reprioritize our life a little bit after what we hear Jesus say today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. The fathers and the men and the families and the babies and, and the people we haven't seen in a while. It's just been a great family reunion here, kind of a reminder of what heaven is going to be like someday. We just pray, Father, that your spirit would speak to us now through your word. And in whatever in our heart and whatever in our life, whatever in our mind needs to be transformed, that your word would do that through your mercy and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Mark 10, we'll read the whole passage. I did the first part last week, but Mark 10, 17 to 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, What with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So last week we looked at verses 17 to 22. Once again, if you weren't here, grab the CD on the way out, or you go on the podcast, or the YouTube. We actually, uh, John got, uh, got us on the YouTube. You can go on the YouTube site and, and listen to the services. But we saw that the rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus. He is anxious. He says, how do I get into heaven? But he missed the whole point. It's not what can, he says, he says, what can we do to get into heaven? But he missed the whole point. There's nothing we can do to get into heaven. It's already been done for us. What Jesus has done for us is what gets us in heaven. We talked about that last week. Then Jesus challenged his perception of who he really, who Jesus really is. He says, do you really know who I am? If you call me good, you better realize that I'm also God and I have the right to demand anything I want to demand. 
Then we saw that the young man's re response was delusional. <laughs> like so many in the USA today, he thought that he kept the law, that he was good enough to get into heaven. He was trying to earn his way and he's delusional. So Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. He says, give everything away and follow me. And the guy, instead of giving everything, giving everything away, walked away from Jesus, right? Because um, even though giving away the money wouldn't save him, that wasn't the point, but it was keeping him from putting his trust in following Jesus. That's what it was keeping him from doing. It was an idol. Anything that we put before God that keeps us from putting our faith in Jesus or keeps us from fully following him is an idol. And we talked about that. We finished with a very heart-searching challenge. Are there idols in our life? Is there anything or anyone keeping us from putting our faith in Jesus? Or is there a person, place, or thing in our life that's holding us back from fully following Jesus and fully following the call of Christ in our life? Which brings us to verse 23. I gave you the little review from last week, but we'll start off with verse 23 today. When Jesus, the man walks away sad, and Jesus looked around, verse 23, looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the first thing that jumps out at us from this verse here is what Jesus didn't say or do. It's not what he said, but what he didn't say or do. He didn't chase the man down the road. Did you notice that? He didn't pursue him down the road. Please come back. Please come. He didn't do it. He didn't try to talk him into following him. He didn't try to sell his ministry. He didn't try to do that. He didn't follow him down the road. He didn't cut a deal. Okay, just give away half, just half. Oh, no, 10%. You know? He didn't try to cut a deal and make it easier for this guy. He didn't cut a deal. He didn't make a mental note here. He didn't make a mental note. Okay, don't preach about giving away money. You're going to lose people from your church. That's, that's not the way to grow the church on earth here. I can't preach on that. He didn't make a mental note of that. And the two key points that jump out us here is one. Is one, a true shepherd of Christ... A true shepherd of Jesus Christ does not preach carefully. He preaches biblically. Very important. The second thing that jumps out here for all of us is Jesus will do anything for us except make up our mind. He'll do grace. He'll give us any mercy, any grace, anything we're struggling with. He'll do anything for us except make up our mind. That's the one thing God will not do. That's up to us to make up our mind to follow Christ. But once we make up our mind, he'll give us all the grace in the world, no matter what we're going through. And so Jesus looks around. He, take note, he just kind of looks around. He says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And let's look at what the disciples say. Look, look at their response, verses 24 and 25. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed. They were Really surprised, super surprised here. Because in Jesus' day, now this is going to be a shock to you, but in Jesus' day, a faulty theology had evolved that saw the rich as having a special blessing from God. If you were rich, you had a special blessing from God. This is what they, they this is this faulty theology that came up. And it came from Psalms, the book of Psalms. In Psalm 112, this is one of the verses that was used. Psalm 112, verses 1 to 3, and I'll just read it to you. Praise the Lord. 
Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. This is one of the verses that they, they were teaching. And what they did is they took a basic principle that God blesses the righteous, right? He blesses the righteous. They took a basic principle and they turned it into a doctrine, into a formula is what they did. They twisted it into a false teaching. Can you believe anybody would do that? Do you ever watch TV? The TV preachers? Not all of them, but 99% of them. One of, them, one of their names ends in dollar, right? Just bought the $70 million jet. All right? and, and this is what they, the Word of Faith movement is today. What these guys believed at this time, the Word of Faith, the health, wealth, gospel. That if you're a Christian, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. And if you're not, you just lack faith. You, know? you just need to become more righteous. You just have to have more faith if you want to be health, healthy and wealthy like Reverend Dollar who has a $70 million jet. He's going to need that jet. It's about as close to heaven as he's going to get. And this faulty theology was here, and the problem with this theology is it ignores many Bible verses that teach we, that we will also suffer and be persecuted. Don't miss next week, verse 28 and Mark here, that, that Christians are going to be persecuted. That the Christian life, they, it ignores that the Christian life also includes suffering. All over the book of Psalms, what do we see? Suffering. And struggling with that suffering and keeping our faith in the midst of that suffering. And they ignored all those. Somehow they missed all those verses. They just focused on a couple of verses. Word of faith, right? And, that, and they also missed that the poor will also often, not always, just because you're poor doesn't mean you're going to heaven, but, but they missed that the poor will often inherit an eternal life that the rich will be denied. Luke 16. In Luke 16, I'll just read you a, a a story, just part of a story. In Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Listen to the, listen how this offsets this false theology. Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This is not a parable. Jesus, whenever there's a, a, an actual proper name used in a story, it's not, no parable has an actual name. This is not a parable. He uses the man's name. This is a true story. There was a rich man who, had dressed, who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony." That doesn't quite fit with word of faith in this whole theology, does it? Being rich doesn't guarantee you heaven, which, which we'll get to that in a minute. So Jesus shatters this false teaching. And he says how hard it is, he follows it up with, in this one. Earlier he said how hard it is for the rich. Here he says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Some manuscripts say how hard it is for those who trust in, man, in riches to enter the kingdom of God. That 
is not in the Bible we're using here, but you see a footnote that in some manuscripts that's, that's in there. Even, we're not quite sure, but even if it's a later edition, it brings out the meaning, and that's possibly what happened. It brings out the meaning of what Jesus is saying. The problem wasn't money. The problem was putting your trust in that money. That's the problem, putting our trust in the money. It's not the money it's putting our trust in. We've all heard, said that the Bible says money is the root of all evil. Right? Oh, it doesn't say that. <laughs> it's amazing. How many people think the Bible says money is the root of all evil, right? Except the Bible doesn't say that. No, no, no. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, it tells us exactly what it says. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Money is not the root of all evil. It says, for the love of money is a, a root of all kinds of evil. And that's what happens is... is that love of money is, is the root. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7.24. In Matthew 7.24, where he says, talking about money, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't love both God and money. It's impossible to do. We can only love one God. One God. That's all we can have. God, who, who do we, who's our God? Who do we trust in? Who do we worship? Who do we find our fulfillment in? Who or what do we find that in? Worship, trust in, find our fulfillment in. Whatever we worship and trust in and find our fulfillment in, that is our God, whether it's a thing or another person or if it's God. Who, what do we trust in? In God or things or something or someone. It could be anything, anyone. Anyone that takes God's place in our heart on the throne. The number one spot of our heart. It could be anything. And we are especially vulnerable to money. That's why Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 6, which I had just read to you. That's why he warns us that we are especially vulnerable. Money is a trap. Doesn't have to be. It could be a very positive thing, but it, it's it's a trap. It's a spiritual trap. It's something that hurts us. And you know what traps do? Traps hold us and hurt us. And 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 I've, I've used this story before, uh, from the book where the red fern grows. The little boy was hunting. He wanted dogs that could help him hunt raccoons but in order to afford the dog he had to catch some raccoons and his grandpa showed him the trick on how to catch a raccoon he showed him how to you take a log and you drill a little hole in it and you drive the nails down into into the hole and so that they're like angled in and then you, you put a little piece of tin foil inside of that hole and the raccoons uh, if you ever try to catch raccoons you know they're very tricky but there's one way one thing that catches them they you put your they, they put their hand in and they grab it and they shut their hand but they can't get their hand back out again because of the angle of the nails they can reach in grab that tin foil but by making a fist and hanging on that worthless little piece of tin foil they can't get it out and they won't let go and the little boy would the, the young young boy would come in with an, an axe or a club and, the, and he would club these raccoons. All the raccoon had to do was open its hand and walk away. 
But it wouldn't. It wouldn't let go of that worthless little piece of tinfoil. And it would be clubbed to death. And that's what money is for us. We, we hang on to it so tight and we won't let go even 10%. Remember the tithing test? Even 10% back to God. We won't give back to him all that we have. We hang on to that worthless little piece of nothing. Paper. And, and, and meanwhile, it's, it's, it's hurting us and destroying us spiritually. And that's what he's warning us, that it's a trap. That's why Jesus says, back to Mark 10, 25. That's why he says here in, in verse 25, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Talk about a tight squeeze. That's a tight squeeze. We should all be nervous. We should, every person sitting here should be nervous. You know why? Because we're all rich. If you live in the United States today, I don't care if you're the poorest person in our, in our country, you're richer than at least 90% of the world. We are filthy rich, every one of us. We are. And we should all be nervous. We had a garage sale for the Dominican Republic, and everybody brought stuff to our house, and they sold stuff to raise money for the mission trip. It was a lot of fun. Everybody had a good time. There's tons of stuff out in our yard. Everybody in our neighborhood thought that was our stuff. You know, and so people go, wow, you got rid of a lot of stuff. You had a lot of stuff. No, no, that wasn't ours. That wasn't ours. That was the youth group. They all brought their own table. Oh, everybody thought that was the Wilsons getting rid of all their stuff. But, but you know what I said to several people? I said, but you know what? I could have got rid of that much. Easy. I, I could have done that five times over. We have that stuff, much stuff in the house, and I would have liked to get rid of it, you know, just out of our garage alone, you know. So, so, but we're all rich. We're filthy rich. So we should all be nervous, and also we should be nervous because we're rich, and, there, and be, the second reason we should be nervous is because there's no way that a camel can fit through an eye of a needle. There's no way. What is he saying? There's no way. I should know because I know camels. If you have followed my Instagram, <laughs> you've seen a picture of me with my camel. Eric keeps coming up, man, I, I didn't know you had Instagram. You've got all these pictures. I, it's not me. Somebody has hijacked my identity, and he lives in my house. He's one of my kids, and I'm going to kill him one of these days. But uh, <laughs> I don't even know what Instagram is. But Eric keeps telling me, they go, I, I responded to your picture, your newest picture. I'm like, what picture? You know? So... <laughs> But apparently on my Instagram, there's a picture of me with my camel in Egypt. I did a camel ride and I got, became good friends with a camel. I almost brought him home. Uh, we were actually at the pyramids and I was standing next to my camel and, uh, and the guy who I rented it for, I think it cost me a dollar, uh, he, he, he's, there was two girls in our group that were about my age and uh, they were single, I was single. They were all, we were all standing there looking at the pyramid. And he thought they were my wives. This guy from Egypt thought they were my wives. So he said to me, he goes, he knew I liked the camel. You know, the camel and I are good friends here. And, and he's like, I'll trade you my camel for one of your wives. These girls heard it, you know. They're like panicking, you know. And I'm like, wow, that'd be a good deal. Yeah, because I really don't need two wives. One wife is enough. And the camel, I like that camel. I really do. And they're like getting freaked out, you know. You know? Like, stop it. Stop it right now. And, you know, they think I'm going to cart them off. I go, stop it. Tell them we're not married to you. Tell them right now. I go, I don't know. I don't know. They're really getting nervous. And finally I said, oh, I don't know how to get them on the plane. 
I said, I, I, would, I would do it, except I can't get the camel on the plane. Sorry, the guy, he's like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, sorry. And, you know, we, you know and we were, they were like going to kill me, you know. So, but, but I couldn't get him on the plane. Well, it's a lot harder to get a camel on a plane uh, through an eye of a needle than it is a plane. Think about a plane getting a camel. Think of getting him through the eye of a needle, that tiny, tiny little, the camel is the biggest animal in the Middle East, in Israel, in, the middle, in Israel. And the needle opening is the smallest opening. It's impossible to do it. And the, let's look at the disciples now what they say. Mark 10, 26 to 27. Now they're really freaked out when they say, The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, and not with God. All things are possible with God. They're even more amazed here. They're actually in shock now. They're in shock. And they say, who then can be saved? Because if the rich, who are blessed by God, can't get into heaven, those are the super spiritual people, you know, faulty theology, right? If they can't get in, who can? We have no hope then if they can't get in. And Jesus says, you're right. It's impossible for anyone. And he looks right at them now. He says, I'm looking at, I'm looking at you. He looks, there's a point to this. You are perfect examples of someone who cannot get into heaven. You're a bunch of hopeless dodos. But he's looking right at us, isn't he? It's impossible. We, we can't get into heaven. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve, deserve God's... We can't earn our way, and we don't deserve any mercy or grace, right? It's, imp, it's humanly impossible for anyone to be saved. Think of the best person you know. Not counting me. Think of somebody else. The best person you know. I'm joking, believe me. Uh, Think of that. That person cannot get close to heaven. No one. The, the, The most perfect person in history. Mother Teresa, humanly perfect person, who, by the way, had no assurance of salvation. You read her story. She was terrified of dying. She had no assurance. Why? She was trying to earn her way into heaven. Sad, sad story. But even Mother Teresa can't even get close to God's holiness and close because we, nobody, it's impossible for anyone to be saved, to get right with God, to get into heaven. There is absolutely nothing we can do, D-O, nothing we can do. But God has made it possible, and it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus, what he has done, D-O-N-E. Ephesians 2 and we've read this before, we're going to read it again. In Ephesians 2, he says, verse 1, start with verse 1, As for you, this is, this is all of us. We're looking in the mirror with these verses. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. You get that? What we were and where you are, maybe if you haven't put your faith in Christ, this is what, we're a bunch of spiritual zombies. We're, we're dead. We're the walking dead. We're following Satan, the, the spirit of the air. We're, we're, we're slaves to Satan. That's what we were. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. We all did. Gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That's what we were. And look what Jesus has done. And how do we get that? Jump up ahead to verse 8. For it, He repeats verse 5 a little bit here. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing we can do. It's only because we put our faith in what has been done. We put our faith in what Jesus has done. When he died on the cross for us, he paid for our sins. He took our place on that cross. We all deserved to be executed. We all deserved God's wrath and hell for eternity. That's what we deserve. But instead, we got God's mercy and grace if we will put our faith in what Jesus has done. God has made a way. But the key is this. What will you put your faith in? Something, someone, or in Jesus Christ? Will we put our faith in him? You may be here today trapped like a rat, trapped in sin. Only Jesus Christ can set us free. Only he can bring us alive and give us real life, a life here on this earth and, and, and a chance to live forever with his Father in heaven someday. Only Jesus can do it. And it only comes by putting our faith in him from saying, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I repent of that sin. I turn away from that sin. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm giving my life. I'm surrendering my life. Whatever you want, it's yours. I'm surrendering my life. My money, my popularity, my business, my friends, what, whatever. You, you fill in the blanks, my sport, whatever it is, my hobbies, it, what, whatever it is, my house, we, we surrender it all. Maybe you're here as a Christian, you've already put your faith in Christ, you've become alive in Christ, but you're not living free. We're not living free. We're not living up to our full potential. And that's all of us, right? All of us. What? Maybe it's because we're really rich. And we haven't surrendered it all to God yet. We haven't put it at his disposal. We, we have not started collecting our treasures in heaven. We have a choice. We can try to have the treasures here, which rust and moth destroy, or we can store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't touch, where it's eternal. And maybe we haven't done that yet. So often we have spiritual garage sales. This is what I, I, I think what we do. We have these spiritual garage sales. We're willing to part with this, but not that. You know a garage sale. You, know, you, take out, you take out some stuff, but you're not willing to do other things, right? And we do that with God. We have a spiritual garage sale. We're, we're willing to part with this God, but not with that. Or often we'll put something, you know, just like a garage sale, we'll put something out, or, or our wife puts something out, and we see it out there, and we go running back out, we bring it back in when she's not looking, Right? Nobody here, but you might know someone like that. Well, same thing. God, we put something out, or God puts something out, and we go sneak it back in, back into our life, right? We do the same with God, don't we? Or we get rid of something, God convicts us, we get rid of it, we hear something, we get rid of it, and then what do we do? We get rid of that junk, but then we go out and buy even newer junk to replace it because we miss it, right? We, we, we do the same, we do that whole garage sale thing, we do spiritually. Fathers, how's all men? How is God speaking to us as men this morning? You're going to get a little gift at the door, and that gift is going to be fun to eat, but it's also a reminder. What are we investing our life in? The worthless or the eternal? What are we investing our life in? There's only one thing as dads we can take with us, and that's our kids. 
right? And all men, the only thing we can take with us are other people. That's the only thing we can take to heaven with us, are people. Are we investing? Are we passing on this perspective to our kids, dads? I always encourage dads to, to the best way to do this is to take your kids to a junkyard. Take them to visit a junkyard. Whenever we drive by a junkyard, there aren't as many, not too many in our area, but every once in a while we drive by a junkyard, and I'll say, guys, look at all that stuff. At one time, all that was somebody's car that they couldn't wait to buy and just loved and took great care of, and now it's a piece of junk. It's worthless. Or look at all those things that washing machines and refrigerator. You can see all this stuff in the junkyard. At one time, that's all people wanted was all these new appliances or the new TVs and the new this and new that. It's all just junk. Are we passing on that perspective to our kids that what's real and what's junk? Graduates. We recognize our graduates this morning. What will you live for? You're going to have to decide. Are you going to live for money or for God? You know what? They've done studies and over and over, and it's always the same. Most people pick their majors. They're going to go to college. Guess how they pick their majors? Most people. The vast majority pick it on how much I'm going to earn. They look it up and see how much am I going to earn, and that's how they pick what they're going to major in. Instead of what has God called me to be? What has he created me to be? What, what is my purpose in life? That should be the number one. Now, obviously, you've got to make a living, but, but the number one criteria shouldn't be, does it make this much, this much? No, it, what has God created me to be? And, and then how can I do that and still survive, right? Uh, but, but college grads, the only way you're going to find fulfillment is by finding God's purpose for your life. That's the only way. That could involve making a lot of money. Hopefully, hopefully you, know, you could, God could call you to a place where you'll make tons of money to use for him. Did you know giving is one of the spiritual gifts? Giving is, look at the list. Giving money is one of the spiritual gifts. We're all called to give. Sacrificially, we're all called to give. Tithing, we're all called to do that. But there's a, a special gift that God gives some people. He gives them the ability to make a lot of money and the ability to give a lot of money. Now, a lot of people make a lot of money don't give it away. But God has gifted some people to earn a lot of money and give it away. It's a special gift. But as, as college grads, if we only pursue money, we're going to end up with an empty life. I guarantee you this. You will end up empty and frustrated and not fulfilled in, in what you're doing. Imagine this young man, this rich young man, which we call the poor young man. Imagine him at the end of his empty life. Imagine him sitting in his rocking chair, you know, and, and, and thinking back over his life and, and realizing he's going to lose it all. He's either, he either lost it all when he died, but probably he lost it even before then because who came in and took over? The Romans. And they took everything. They destroyed everything. They took everything. He didn't probably get to, to die a rich old man. It was probably taken all away by the Romans. But can imagine the emptiness and, and the, the horrible sense of loss. And, and he could have used that to impact so many people. He, instead of sitting in hell today, he could be sitting in heaven with riches all around him that he had stored up 
rewards that he had stored up. Imagine the emptiness versus the fulfillment and the lives that he could have changed and the people that he could have touched by using what God had given him. Who will we live for? Who will we put our faith in? That's the question, every one of us. Who will we put our faith in and who will we live for? What will we live for? Doesn't matter if we're just graduating or it doesn't matter if we're 80 years old, we can still make the decision what to do with our life right now. Let's pray. This is a very, very convicting passage. How is God speaking to us? How is the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts? Maybe here today you have not put your faith in Jesus. Maybe your faith has been in something or someone else. But your eyes have been opened to what you really are and who you really are following. And this morning you want to you want to put your faith in Jesus. You can do that right now. The Holy Spirit is convicting you. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ right now. You can have meaning in your life and purpose in your life and have guaranteed eternal life. But it's going to cost you everything. And yet it's free. It's free, but it will cost us everything. But in the end, it's going to be, it will give us everything. Everything that God can give us will be ours. But it, God will do anything except make up our minds. He won't make up our minds for us. He'll do anything but that. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? You can do that right now, at this very moment. Just speak to God and say, God, I don't want my sin anymore. I repent of that sin and all, the, all I've done wrong and every commandment I've ever broken and all the garbage in my life. I repent of that. I don't want to be spiritually dead anymore. I don't want to follow Satan anymore. I put my... Faith in Jesus. I ask you to forgive my sin because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And I want to follow him. I don't want to be like that poor young man. I want to follow Jesus, wherever you lead me. If you've prayed that prayer, you no longer have to ask, how am I going to get to heaven? How do I get eternal life? How do I enter the kingdom of God? You don't have to wonder anymore because you're there. You're already in heaven. You already are in the kingdom of God. You already have eternal life, and it starts right now. Not because anything you've done or anything that you can do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And your faith is in him.
And if you've prayed that prayer of faith, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Maybe you're here with a family member or a friend. Let somebody know. Tell me on the way out. Fill out the card. Email me. Text me. Let somebody know because we're going to be excited for you and help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is God speaking to us? Maybe he's convicting us about our riches and really surrendering them to him. Saying, God, they're yours. Whatever you want to do with them, they're yours. Now, he may give them all back or he may take them all. I, I'm not God. I have no idea what he needs to do in our lives. But the point is, will we surrender to him and say, God, I want to invest in your kingdom. Maybe as dads and, and men, we need to reprioritize and live for eternity in some way. God's convicting us about making an internal impact in somebody's life. Maybe our own kids or our wife. Maybe as graduates, it's God's convicting us of his purpose for us and in finding that purpose and living that purpose, surrendering our life to him. But it's not just graduates, all of us. Who is God? Who will we live for? Who will we put our trust in? Maybe this morning as we're praying, God is speaking to you about the impossible. Maybe you're facing something that seems impossible. Maybe it's a sin or a stronghold. Maybe it's a struggle with a trial in your life that just seems impossible. But faith is putting, faith is not just for salvation, but it's for our daily life and and it's putting our faith daily in the impossible Jesus. The Jesus that takes the impossible and makes it possible. All things are possible with God. And our prayer today is, God, this is something I can't do, I can't handle, I can't face it. I need you. I need you to deliver me. Oh God, if this trial is here for a, a purpose, a longer purpose, I ask you to give me the mercy and grace to face this impossible thing until you do deliver me. Father, everything that we've read today in your word sounds impossible and it is to us as human beings we totally need you we need your mercy we need your grace I pray for each one of us as we face trials every one of us I know is facing something right now we just pray for extra mercy extra grace I pray you give us a spirit of hope as we trust you 
Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.